strapped in the trenches Making moves going all out Every day handle business You know that the hustle don't stop Got my team, let's get it Reviewing books and talk stocks Steady keep it moving So you gon' wanna tune in Get Lowdown, it's an app Get local food on demand Delivery right to your home Everything in the palm of your hand Took hard work and dedication Come through, join the conversation This is history up in the making We just wanna be an inspiration Hey, let's go Welcome to another episode of Bootstrapped in the Trenches. Today, we dive into unconditional love and why dogs are humans' best friends. Uh, We read Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People, which I think is very fitting with this coronavirus going on and the social distancing we're all doing and being in isolation mode. It, It also gives us a lot of time, though, to reflect on what really matters in the world. And uh, we have our childhood friend, Dan, from Watcham, New Jersey, where we grew up, Adam Rafat, coming on our podcast tonight, which we're pumped about. He's actually a future doctor. So I think the timing is pretty impeccable here, having Adam on. Excited to hear his thoughts on what's going on with the virus. I'm sure he has some input. He's been in hospitals almost every day. So talk about a guy that's been in the trenches. It's him lately. So uh, we actually also, Corey is not with us today. He's fighting the flu. Uh, we're not sure if it's Corona, but it just shows how this has really spread pretty quickly, this pandemic, and that, you know, Corey's a very healthy guy. Uh, he, it sounds like he's starting to get better, which is gl- great to hear. Heal quickly, Corey. Stay hydrated out there. But yeah, this is pretty serious, Dan, and I'll be the first to admit, I didn't take this that seriously up until I left Denver and saw my flight was literally half empty. And that's when the warning signs started triggering a bit. Yeah, I mean, the thing that's kind of starting to drive me crazy, not starting to, it's been driving me crazy for a week now, there's still people who are not taking this serious. And there's this whole mentality out there among people in their mid-20s where it's like, oh, I'm going to live my life, whatever. And it's just so damn obnoxious and selfish, selfish. really. It's so selfish, man. And here's the thing. For anyone that we possibly have any influence over with this podcast, every scientific slash disease expert specialist out there is saying, hey, like, yeah, you're right. If you're in your mid-20s and you get this, chances are you're going to get over it. But you're going to go and spread it to a lot of people, and some of them are not going to be able to get over it. So it's like, fuck, like, listen to people, stay home, take the social distancing serious. It's crazy that, like, people are, dude, like, yesterday, Danny and I took a drive down to Folly Beach, which is, like, a popular, you know, spring break destination and just a spot that I was so, like, upset with how people were just living their lives taking shots like it was packed and i was like god damn this is so not good right now and you know there were a huge saint patty's day festival down in savannah that her friends were at and like we saw videos and it's it's madness people are not taking this serious and it's it's freaking me out oh yeah i saw it in new york the other night because i went up to meet with this girl that i matched with on bumble and I, was, I actually walked from Soho all the way up to Hell's Kitchen with, for those of you not familiar with New York, it's a huge grid and Hell's K- Kitchen is all the way up in the West 50ths. And I was down, way downtown by the West Village. It took me like an hour and a half to get there. It felt like Apocalypse Now, like a scene right out of Jurassic Park where it's like, where's the dinosaur? 
uh, you saw groups of people, though, raging. Like, even when I left her place, I, I ended up walking home late, late night. We're talking three in the morning. You know, New York has bars open 4 a.m. It seemed like the Super Bowl where people were just like, oh, I don't have work coming up. And, and Adam will shed light on this in a bit for us. The real problem is the capacity of the hospitals right now. Part of this containment can only happen if people are staying in confines of their own home. It's why restaurants have shut down dining across the board now. And it's, it's fucked up. Young people, sure, are going to be able to fight this if they get sick. It's not about the young people. It's about making sure there's enough space for the old people that are sick. And we're starting to see that's not the case. I think that's part of the problem as much as it's great having a free marketplace democracy, which we all love being America. The downside of that, which we saw China didn't have this problem with, being able to contain the public quickly to do things and get in line. It almost seems like our country, it doesn't even matter your political views. The reality is everyone loves the freedom that comes with being an American citizen and being here. But the drawback of that is when a pandemic hits, which sure is very rare, but when it does, we're seeing how disorganized and all over the place we really are as a country. So that, that's been pretty alarming. No, I mean, it's crazy. Our country is literally soft. Like it, what we need, which is never going to happen, is we need, and I hate to say this because I don't even know if like I would want this, but at the end of the day, in a situation like this, you almost need the military out on the streets, like not allowing people to go outside, like taking it so serious to the point where people are well, afraid that if they leave their homes, they're going to get in actual trouble with the law. You're, because, you're talking about martial law being installed. And I think that's not, I don't see that happening, but I know what you mean. I think the military though is needed more as much so for assembling remote hospitals and being able to put together hospital beds. They do that better than anyone in the world, the U.S. military. So we need to bring them in for that more than anything right now to be yeah. able to have that. And I'm, I'm kind of shocked Trump hasn't instilled that yet. And I'm sure it's coming, but that should have been done weeks ago. Well, look, it I don't know if you watched the debate last night, and I know this is not a political podcast, or I guess it's whatever podcast we want it to be. We talk about all kinds of things on here, but I'll tell you what, and I'm not, I don't know who I want to win the election. That's not even what this is about, but there were certain things that you could tell were brought up in the debate, specifically from Biden, who you could tell has just been around the block from being around the Obama administration. That been around is, too many blocks. That guy, I mean, hey, man, <laughs> I hate to say it, but he has dementia. And well, anyone yeah. that wants to hear him speak one sentence fully, get back to me. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a whole other story. And yeah, I mean, that's all we could have a whole podcast just about that. But there is definitely a level of understanding when it comes to how to deal with this type of thing that he seems to understand just different things that were available that maybe Trump doesn't even realize. Like Which is why up, he's going to be the president. He's got the political experience being in Obama's administration, being a senator. He knows what to say. He's a, that's, and that's what the country needs right now, a scripted guy who is okay. going to play by the rules, not innovate, not come up with impulsive decision. Don't get me wrong. I'll be the first to say I've been a Trump supporter up until the last few weeks. And this put me over the edge where I'm like, this guy doesn't actually care about humanity at all. It's I'm, just not something that's on his mind. 
Yeah, no, Trump completely lost me as any sort of supporter. I'm not even going to say I was a supporter, but at the end of the day, I, was I wasn't. I voted for the guy. I, I'm not going to say a supporter, but I did vote for him. Dude, the last I, yeah, I, I think Trump has intentionally lied to the public to try and protect the market, essentially, thinking that that's what people care about. And well, he wanted, he wanted a re-election. He doesn't realize if he was up front and actually handled this virus correctly, that would have guaranteed his re-election and gotten him voters from the other side. Now it's done the exact opposite, ostracized people that were in his camp. And you're going to see Joe Biden as our next president by default. There's no doubt about it. That's where we're heading. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's it's crazy when you look at some of the chains that show the different things Trump has said over the last two to three weeks about this. And just like the flip flop wishy-washy where even today he's still saying like we have this under control. It's yeah, like, what it's, are you it's talking like, about? It's not I a human, bud. This is not a person. You, you don't even know what you're dealing with here. That's that's where I can't stand Trump coming out. Silence is golden for him right now. And I agree. He keeps coming out talking and like the last half hour of the market closes and it's just like, oh, no, like get off the damn podium right now. We're already down 2000 points. Like you're about to shave off another thousand. That's it's, what he did. I mean, it, it, it's almost the mar the market's just ridiculous right now to the point where I'm past the point of even being like, oh, wow, this sucks. It's more like, wow, we're living in a new know, era, a new era. We're, it's so it's wild, man. It's like the last two weeks, really the last week, it's been so life changing with just my day to day thoughts. Like yep. I can't escape this reality of whatever the hell is going on. I wake up. The first thing I want to do is hop on Twitter to see what Jim Cramer has to say about the market, then hop on Facebook to see what 300 strangers I've never even met are saying about the coronavirus, even though no one really knows. Everyone's got some sort of medical opinion where it's like, who do you believe? Who don't you believe? I don't know. All I know is, I don't know if you listen to, there was um, Michael Osterholm. I, I think that's his name. And this dude, I mean, all right, I listened to this guy get interviewed. He's basically internationally recognized expert in infectious disease. And he's worked for like the last three or four presidents. Uh, Michael, last, the last name spelling is O-S-T-E-R-H-O-L-M. Anyone who's listening to this, go look this guy up and see what he has to say. And this guy kind of... I don't want to say he scared the shit out of me because at the end of the day, he's not predicting a doomsday. He's saying we are going to get through this, but he also shed some light on some things that aren't really being talked about. And this is where I'm just confused. I don't know. I mean, this guy said that there's no data to actually support the notion that this virus is spreading around through germs and everyone's obsessing over washing their hands and not touching surfaces. And obviously those are good things to do, but he was essentially saying the reason that that's the narrative is because they need to say something to make people feel like they could do something. And what this guy was saying is it's a respiratory disease. And he was like, if you breathe in the same air that somebody else is breathing out, who's contaminated, that is how you're going to get this. Mm -hmm. And he was like, and that's why all the people on the cruises got it because the rooms, 
rooms are all next to each other and the rooms are all breathing in the same air because it circulates the air from one room to the next. It's the same in hotels. So he was basically saying like the worst human experiment we could have done was let these people on cruises just to keep funneling through these diseases over and over again. And when I told dad, I was like trying to remember all the different things he said. But the one thing he said that I remember that I told dad this morning was two weeks ago on Friday, like before the market really, really went to shit last week. This guy apparently briefed like the top 400 investment groups in the world. And he said that after he briefed them, he compared it to he was like the questions that they were asking me were the same questions that six year olds who are about to crawl into a dark hole for the first time were going to ask. It was a lack of leadership. It was complete panic. And I knew the market was about to go down. And I texted friends. This is what he said. He was like, I told people the market is going to get punished next week because I just met with all the financial world leaders and they are beyond spooked by this. And the other thing he said that freaks me out, and this is where I'm like trying to figure out where it all goes from here. He was basically saying that the fact that China is now going back to normal it's about to explode there with cases, with outbreaks. And the whole reason it's been somewhat contained is the social distancing, but it's not over. And now they're like having everything go back to normal there. The Disney parks opening, all the Apple stores are opening, everything's getting back to normal. And this guy was saying like, just wait, wait to see what happens. And that's what scares me is if China cycles through this again, it's like, we just have no clue what the fuck's going on. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, hey, that's I, I don't think anyone ever has a clue what the fuck's going on. And we have a false sense of thinking that we do. Like uh, Anthony and I were talking about that earlier, but he's like, it's always funny how it takes situations like this for everyone to go into these modes. We're always clueless. And, you know, I, I think we have very bad humans are terrible at short term memories with things. Even like me and you have talked with that about at length. This was bound. Something was going to happen. Things were all hunky-dory, you know, just all humming along way too long. And, you know, dad even said, like, what you guys have experienced the last few years is not reality. And this shows it. So if uh, our buddy Sean actually made a great point, he kind of used the analogy that this is a fire alarm. He's like, man, we're going to get through this. The reality is we weren't prepared for a pandemic and this could be way worse. And now... You'll see, like that article I sent you earlier, the opinion piece, you'll start seeing institutional money dumped into healthcare now on another level for on-demand treatments and things that we've seen in sectors that are not really involving anything beyond convenience, but now it's going to be necessity. That's where you're going to start seeing a shift in what people are focusing on. And even kids growing up, getting into different types of things for healthcare, I think you'll just see a major shift in what people are interested in now. I mean, I agree with the last thing you said that I could see there being way more people now that are just beyond curious about wanting to study diseases, understand it, be a part of the solution. Well, and way more money and dumped into it. That's been the biggest problem, man. That, well, that, Adam I, will talk about that a bit too. But that, And that's also where, and this is where, again, I bring up the guy who I just brought up and he was basically saying, and he's so right in the sense that the way our world is, is it's what's happening now. And even with like, all right, he brought up the Zika as a perfect example. He was like, when Zika started to spread, we were told that there was going to be some sort of vaccine by, let's say, the summer, kind of like what we're hearing now. And then what happened was the outbreak stopped. 
And then the money that was going to develop the vaccine, it dried up. Because I'm no- not talking about those. But I'm more referring to the, the whole systematic approach of health, of just anything, diseases, prevention. I think you're going to just see a much different train of thought going into that instead of like one-off basis. It'll be interesting to see because I think humans really are so that they don't have, it's not even that they don't have like good memories as much as they only care about what's in front of them. So the one thing that Bernie said last night in the debate that hit home for me was when he was talking about the environment and he was like, all right, like let's compare the environment to the coronavirus. Like we know at some point it's gonna kick us in the face and we're not going to be prepared for it. He's like, isn't this a prime example of like, we need to be prepared for the things that we do know are coming. And it's not just disease. That's another thing when you're talking about like the rising sea levels, it's like, all right, so what are we doing? We're just going to wait for the day that it hits and then it wipes out, let's say a whole entire state. And that's when we're going to be like, oh, what are we doing to stop this? And that's where my fear is that there's money being poured into figuring this out and figuring out a way to deal with this. But as soon as the problem starts to go away and you start to get government changes and people talking about different things and you're analyzing where all the money is being spent, all of a sudden you're like, oh, do we really need all this money going to this coronavirus? This isn't really a problem anymore. And that's why at the end of the day, how is this really going to be the last one of these when it's just like it almost because you're going to because you're going to see people looking at wanting to like Anthony said it best. He's like the the sense of self, everyone. Oh, I don't want to die individually, even though that's ridiculous because everyone is going to die. The reality with this is we're in an era you can get a sandwich or a ride with your finger, but it takes five days to get a result three to five days in America right now, the world power, quote unquote, first world country to get a result of a coronavirus. So there's a major disconnect. I'm not specifically talking about this virus. I'm talking about the way we're going to just see things viewed. And it's obvious healthcare has been broken in our country for a long time too. That's a whole nother story. But I think this sheds light on a lot of things. And we're going to see the world basically being paused for a while here. I think this lockdown is going to give a lot of the smartest people in the world time to really contemplate what has to happen in our world and the stuff you brought up as well. It's not just diseases. I think we almost needed this pause because we were self-destructing our planet. So when you think of all the stuff that's come to a screeching halt, yeah, it's awful, but it might have been necessary to keep humanity around a bit longer. I mean, that's an optimistic way to look at it. I love where your head's at. It's, you know, the fact that people are going to... You're right, though. There's certain really, really intelligent people who are normally so consumed with their day-to-day lives that right now are forced to kind of just be sitting on their couch. Like, what do I do? Exactly. And, and, and that's and when genius is created. Like that thing I sent you back in this, uh, the plague days, when, you know, you saw what happened then with Isaac Newton and what he was able to build. When you have time to actually think and not just do, 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 compare, 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 post, post, that, that's the world we've been in, this vicious cycle no one's no one's thinking. Yeah. And it's time to, to take a breath and think. No, for sure. And to comment on what you said before, anyone who's listening to this and thinking like, oh, the tests don't take three to five days. What are you talking about? You get them instantly. Our beloved Corey got the test and he was told he had to wait three to five days. He still hasn't gotten the result yet. News to us too. We didn't realize that. In South Korea, you get results done in five minutes. The test itself, you have results in eight hours. 
And so, yeah, that, that's my whole point. It's going to take. That's why they've contained themselves in South Korea so well when you think about it. You have all these people here being tested, and then, oh, I feel fine. I'm, you know, I'm sure I don't even have this. They're out and about doing whatever. Next thing you know, who knows who they're infecting? Yeah, no, it's a, it's an absolute mess. And at the end of the day, it's almost like as soon as you know somebody that's being affected by this, and you find out what the actual truth is with how they're being handled, it's easy to say, wait a minute, everything we're being told about having these available tests and how quick the turnaround time is, it's just not true. Because if you know anybody going through it they're not having that happen. Like they're having to wait. There, there's a lot of uncertainty. I mean, it's it's insane when you think about it. You know and what I mean? Yeah, Corey's been sick for a few days and doesn't even know if he has coronavirus. He's on antibiotics, but he doesn't know what they're what it's for. So yeah. what does that tell you? Like, that's absolutely ridiculous. We're it's, not in a third world country here. It sure as hell feels like it when it comes to just what's available or not even it's just like we obviously weren't prepared for it and and i i get why but it's it's foolish when you really really think about the big picture like there's enough people out there that know that these things no matter what are going to present themselves and for us to not have been ready it's just us focusing on the wrong things that benefit people in the short term. It honestly goes hand in hand with what our whole entire society is, which is instant gratification. Convenience. It's to, convenience. It trumps everything. When and, you even in our business, look at it, food delivery. And it's tough for when you think about it, like if you're a president, for example, and you're trying to campaign, at least up until now, and you're trying to figure out what you want to spend money on, it's not gonna be very popular if you're oh, spending well, money on millions. There he is. Dan, sorry to cut you off. We got the legend. Oh, what's happening? There he is. What's do we, up, do, Adam? Do we have him on video? Do you see him? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's here. Hey, what? Let me. What's up, buddy? Why don't I see him? I'm up. I don't know. Can you hear him? I could hear him, but I want to see him. Yeah. I, see you t- I can see you, Danny. I can see both of you. Maybe I'm doing something wrong. Uh, let me see. I really need to see you right now, Adam Rafai. How do I How do I fix this? Uh, I, I, I love it. What do I do? Oh, I don't, Adam. You got you're you're flowing here. I see you. I mean, I hear yeah. you. So that's what that's what matters. Yeah. All right. Well, Adam, we're honored to have you on, man. You. This is. Oh, uh, thanks for having me. Of course, Adam. To give our listeners some, you know, a little scoop on what's going on here. Adam is one of my closest and oldest childhood friends. We grew up in a town. Dan, obviously, my brother was in the same town growing up, Watchung, New Jersey, a town of less than three thousand people. Right. And Adam, what do we have? 52 kids in our class for what, nine years together? Yeah. So, two kids. That was a pretty intimate setting. We played ice hockey together in high school. Adam was a hell of a defenseman. Oh. Kept our team stable many t- more times than not. And on the ice way too much. I don't know how he did it. Uh, and Adam, it's awesome, man, because with all this shit going on, with the coronavirus, we couldn't really think of anyone better to have on than a future doctor. Ah, well, you know, I'm not an epidemiologist, so not much of an expert, but... uh, What are you thinking about this? Thank you for the kind praise and introduction. Of course. Uh, You know, I think we just got to listen to the experts and uh, see what they have to, what kind of guidance that they can give us, um, and really just do our to follow those instructions is, you know, inconvenient. Are you are you going along with the whole lockdown? Like, are you staying away from people for the most part now? 
Did we lose him? Um, I think he froze up for a second. Oh, there he is. Oh, I'm back. I'm back. You're back. back. Oh yeah. All right, all right. Sorry about that. Uh, oh, all good, man. What? What? Uh, what did? Uh, <laughs> oh, I was, what did, I was uh, asking. Uh, so social distancing, Adam. Do you feel like that's very important right now? Or are you partaking in that yourself? Uh, I'm doing my best, you know, when it's practical. Yeah, you know, that's since that's what uh, the experts are saying might be able to slow the spread and give hospitals enough time to uh, catch up and treat the patients that need to be treated um, at the level of care that they need. So, you know, if that's what the experts recommend, then that's what I'm trying to do. How about you guys? So let, let me let me just ask, because it seems like from what I'm trying to when I'm trying to sift through information, it seems like even from the experts, there's a lot of mixed messages being sent. Yeah. Social mm-hmm. distancing, I'm not going to say is one of them, but it might be. Could you kind of tell us, like, based on your expertise, which experts, not like by name, yeah. but which theories are the ones we should probably be listening to more than others? Well, well, I think it's it's not so much about uh, that's a great question, Dan, because there's a lot of information out there, and it, you can find different models. Um, and I would agree that there's probably not a hundred percent consensus among all scientists. So I think you want to go to like the top of the food chain and say like the CDC, you know, whatever their experts are saying, you trust them. And then at a local level, like municipalities may have different rates of spread and community spread. So whatever the municipality's health uh, department says is probably what you want to pay attention to, you know? Yeah. I mean, and based on that, Mike and I, before you got on here, we're kind of talking about how with all the social distancing chatter going around, it doesn't actually seem like people are taking it serious and it's kind of freaking us out. And what, like, what are your thoughts on that? Could you knock some sense into our listeners here? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know know how good uh, I would be at knocking sense into anyone because I'm a bit of a goof myself, but um, you know, I, I think the model in, you know, we can look at, how this has worked out in a couple of different countries. You look at um, what happened in Italy versus what happened in China or South Korea. And I think our CDC and state um, health departments and local health departments are trying to look at those models and see what they did there and how that, um, how the disease behaved differently there based on what interventions were placed. And it looks like in Italy, maybe they were a little bit late to um, implement social distancing and some more, um, you know, conservative measures. And that's kind of got them in a crisis now because they have more people uh, who require intense care than they have units to provide that. And I think that would be a really scary place um, for us to get to as a country. Um, So we want to avoid that at all costs. And it seems like, you know, you know, just to break it down in case people aren't sure. So if there's X number of ICU beds in the country, let's just choose a random number of 100, which is obviously low. Let's say that's like a community. Maybe uh, 200 people in a community are going to get this virus and require that level of care. But if you can spread that out, so not all 200 of of them get it today, the system can deal with 100 people at a time, you know, maybe 50 this week, and then some of those people get better, and then another 50 get sick. And, And that may be what we have to deal with. But having everyone get sick at once will dramatically overwhelm the system that we have right now. And Adam, are we, are you seeing it's already being overwhelmed from what you've seen firsthand at the hospitals? Well, so for, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, however you want to see it, I'm uh, on vacation these two weeks, so I'm not seeing <laughs> patients clinically, um, but I can say that my coworkers um, 
my colleagues, my classmates, and then people at other hospitals are already overwhelmed. Um, I'm not, I can't speak to whether ICU beds in New York are overwhelmed, but if you look at some of the models, they're projected to be overwhelmed by like three to one, if not more, based, depending on the model you look at. Um, so that, wow. that's definitely concerning. And I think a, another big concern is that I have a lot of friends who work in the emergency department and right now people, there's a lot of uncertainty. So people don't know, I'm not feeling so great. Should I go to the hospital? Um, and that overwhelms the emergency department, which, you know, they have to take all of those cases seriously. And that means long waiting times. A lot of people with each other that are sick and that's going to increase the spread. So we really need some guidance in terms of when should you go to the hospital? And we need that information to get out into the public um, so people know. And th this might be a stupid question, but I keep no, hearing these I keep hearing these ICU beds being talked about. It, mm -hmm. what, what is that? Is that just a hospital bed or is it like a specific type of bed? Yeah, that's a great question. Not stupid at all. So um, when you go to a hospital, um, you can be admitted, which means you're staying in the hospital. And there's different levels of care that you might require. Um, if you just need antibiotics through an IV um, or maybe you need some treatments, um, but you don't need to be on a ventilator, which is a machine that breathes for you, or you don't need to have your vitals monitored constantly, um, then you can just go to a regular hospital bed. But if, let's say, um, you needed a, res uh, a respirator, so a tube down your throat that breathes for you, which seems to be quite common with this disease since it is a respiratory infection, yeah. then you need to be at, in a higher level of care because I can't just put you on a machine and kind of leave you for a few hours and come back and check on you, uh, which might be the case in a regular hospital bed. So ICU beds are, you know, a higher level of care. There's usually more nurses per pa uh, fewer patients per nurse, um, fewer doctors per patient as well, because uh, those people just need a little bit more attention. Damn, that's freaky. I didn't really realize that ICU beds were like, that means you got a breathing tube and you basically have breathing assistance. Uh, I kind of just like assumed ICU beds were these hospital beds. and But I kind of knew it must have been something else. And thank you for shedding light on that. Is that uh, intensive care unit? Is that what that stands intensive for? Intensive care, correct. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Got and, you. And there might be other reasons besides requiring a respirator. You might need to be on, um, you know, usually we think about like, um, not to get too technical, but let's say your heart, you weren't giving um, enough blood to your organs because your blood pressure was too low um, and maybe you required some medications that need to be very carefully titrated to help raise your blood pressure or maybe even to lower it in if the opposite were true. And so, you know, but in this case, what we're probably dealing with is people that require someone to breathe for them because their lungs have been overwhelmed by this infection. Wow. Well, hopefully this thing is going to have some sort of clarity on a vaccine at some point soon. Do you think that's possible or is that just wishful thinking? Um, well, you know, in order for a vaccine to be effective, you need to have enough of the population get the vaccine so that we have what's called herd immunity, which means that like, you know, let's say someone does have the virus, they're surrounded by enough people that can't get it, so they won't spread it. And Ooh. Depending on how quickly a virus spreads, herd immunity requires, you know, a greater or lesser proportion of the population. But in something like this, you're probably talking about hundreds of millions of vaccines that would need to be created. So even if we make a vaccine relatively shortly, production of a vaccine uh, in that quantity 
might be very challenging in the short term. So, wow. These are the things no one talks about. Everyone's like, oh, a vaccine's coming, a vaccine's coming. Mm. And here you're telling us, like, that doesn't mean shit. We need 100 million people taking it to even have an impact. You know, I I don't know the numbers. Uh, You know, the the experts would be able to tell you with this kind of virus how many people need to get the vaccine in order for there to be a population-level effect. Um, But I think the issue, even if one is discovered relatively soon, getting it out there um, in large enough quantity will be the bigger challenge, you know, or, or is another challenge. I don't know if it's bigger or less, to be honest. And Adam, I think that I know me and you talked about this when we were hanging out the other day a bit, but it brings up an interesting point where we live in this world, you know, we're in the food delivery business. Luckily, that's yeah. still open with all the shutdowns. But people are used to instant gratification. Dan and I were talking about it earlier. You can get a ride with your th- a click of a button, a sandwich. But if yeah. you if you have a bad disease such as this on another level, a pandemic hits. We saw our employee, Corey, we're waiting to hear if he has coronavirus, but it's three to five days before you even hear if you have it. Don't don't you think that we're in an era now where there needs to be way more resources dedicated to things that are necessity more than convenience, perhaps? Yeah, I mean, these are tricky questions and I don't know the machinations of how this, you know, how you get the funding sorted to get a test developed that can be more, uh, a little bit more rapid than the three to five days, which is quite a long time. Um, but yeah, I mean, one would think that our current infrastructure is not uh, set up to handle something like this, which is eye-opening and hopefully can be, edu- you know, illustrated for us in educational without coming with too much of a, at a cost, a loss of life or other illness, you know, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I think it makes everyone stop and take a breath, too, because we're always trying to get everywhere so quickly and do things and one up. Mm -hmm. We're in that one up culture, it seems like, where people are comparing themselves, social media. And now this happens. Everyone's forced to take a step back, not go out, not create all these experiences. And maybe it's what was really Mm -hmm. needed for humanity here. Yeah, I mean, I listened to your pod last week, actually, and you you, uh, talked about that book that you guys read. Um, I forgot the name of it, but it, you American you, you talk, Dirt, no Dark yeah, Towers. Oh, Dark Towers. Oh, uh, well, it was the one where you were talking about how maybe it was two weeks ago. You guys were just talking about, um, you know, how the book opened your eyes to some of the first world problems that we have. That was American um, Dirt. Yeah, American Dirt. Okay, yeah. So, um, you know, and I think this is kind of an experience that a lot of us are looking around and saying, oh wow, you know, things can get uh, pretty dark pretty quickly, given the right or wrong. Um, circumstances. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think that, is there a chance that people are building immunities to to Corona? Like, can you be immune to even getting it, do you think? Uh, So this is actually a question on a radio show I was listening to this morning, and and that's kind of, we don't have the science yet to to know that. We don't have an answer to that question. Um, You know, since this is a new virus, it's uncertain how it behaves. So it may be that you can get this virus multiple times. You may get immunity to this virus from getting it once, kind of like um, chicken pox. Um, and it may be, as you're saying, some people are just naturally immune to it. Um, that tends to be the case with a lot of viruses. You know, there's even a small segment of the population who can't get HIV um, because the virus requires a certain cell uh, surface protein to enter the cell and a very small percentage of the population doesn't have that protein, so the HIV virus can never enter cells. Um, whether or not something like that 
analogous existing COVID-19 and protect some members of the population. It would be just speculation, but it certainly is um, a reasonable hypothesis that that's so. Wow. Adam, is there any way, in your opinion, that this could have been prevented, or is it more about how we could have done a better job containing the outbreak? Yeah, I think I think that's a great question, and I think you kind of need to tackle both things. You know, we, we need to continue to look for ways to prevent um, novel viruses from developing, but that's a very challenging thing because you're really talking about evolution, right? And can't really stop evolution at right now at least we don't know how that any way to do that so as dna or rna in this case of a virus mutates over time it will change um and that's going to continue to be the case for the foreseeable future in terms of stopping the spread i think we have models from the past where things didn't go well and we can learn from them and hopefully we learn from this uh situation as well and, and i do think that's probably the area where we need to have a bigger um reserve in terms of like all right when something like this happens these are the steps we take to limit spread and we act quickly um and, and that just requires scientists to have access to the policymakers and have their ear and can really you know let them know hey this needs to happen now and this isn't a joking matter um and that needs to be taken seriously it's uh it's cr it's crazy to hear you describe a virus as evolution and I get it, but it's like when you think of it like that, it's like this virus is trying to evolve and survive just like humans are. And that's just like freaky to think about. It's not like just this disease yeah. that we're out to kill. Like it's out, it's also trying to live. Yeah. Well, unlike us where we, you know, have conscious thought about wanting to survive, the virus is really just its DNA is mutating because the process of copying DNA is an imperfect one. Um there's not full fidelity. So anytime a virus replicates, or more correctly stated, whenever the cells of a host replicate the DNA for that virus, there'll be some errors. And those errors manifest themselves as slight differences in the virus. And as far as immunology is concerned, that may mean that the virus is no longer uh, recognizable to the host's immune system. Wow. Dude, this is so fucking cool but, that we got you on here right now. This is yeah. like, this is awesome. <laughs> wow, shit, for sure. Adam, has I this... I thought we were going to talk about cereals again. Well, we're... Uh, we're wanna... <laughs> okay, okay. We're going to get to your favorite cereal. Okay, all right, good, good. Adam, I want to ask you, though, what has this whole experience... Like, have you already decided what medicine direction you're going in? Yeah, I'm going to be doing uh, family medicine. Wow, that's awesome. That is awesome. Yeah, I'm very excited about we'll it. We'll have a new family doctor then. Yeah, that's right. And what made you decide to go down that road? Uh, you know, that's a that's a good question. Kind of uh, a lot of factors that go into it. But if I could just sum it up to a few things, I guess I'd say um, I wanted to work in primary care. Um, you know, I wanted to be someone's primary care doctor, meaning they come to them for, you know, a whole host of things and not just specializing in, uh, you know, one um and primary care doctors in this country are general pediatricians, internal medicine doctors, um, and then you can count also OBGYN in that. Um, and family is kind of a mixture of all three of those, and I wanted to be able to still see children, but not only see children. I wanted to work with adults, and then also um, be part of, you know, routine. Also. So that would, that's probably, you know, we could talk uh, for hours on it, but that would be the 
gist of it, uh, if I had to say something quickly. And what are your thoughts, Adam, on, have you heard of this whole concierge doctor movement where you're seeing, like, we had our old doctor separating from their practice and going off on his own. What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, uh, that's a complicated question as well, uh, and kind of gets into some of healthcare economics, which is also something we could have uh, many, pod, uh, many podcasts about. Um, I would say that there, it's becoming harder and harder to work within the current insurance framework, um, which is, I think, one of the reasons you see more people, uh, physicians anyway, from their perspective, wanting to do concierge method, uh, medicine and kind of cut out that middleman because um, they're maybe not seeing much value added in working with them. Mm. Um, I don't think it would be right for me, um, but, you know, that's a personal thing. And, uh, yeah. Well, yeah, it's cool having a group around. I'm sure there's a, a sense of community that comes with mm-hmm. that, too, where I always find that fascinating, though, seeing that there seems to be specific doctors that are all about that. And then others, like my current physician in Denver, has zero interest in that. Yeah. Well, you know, it, go ahead, Dan. No, I know. If you were going to say something, go ahead. Yeah, no, it wasn't, uh, you know, we, we could get into the weeds on this, but uh, I, I, what were you going to say? Well, I was, all right, I do have a couple more questions about the coronavirus, but I, to sure, stay sure. on this for a second, you brought up the economics of like the Medicare industry and whatnot. And mm-hmm. my question is for somebody that's about to be in it, are you, I mean, it's taking over my Facebook narrative. It's all people talk about. Is Do doctors commonly want private health care? Do they want health care provided by the government for everybody? Like, what, what is your view on it, if you don't mind me asking? Sure. Well, I, I obviously, you know, I can't speak for um, all doctors or all medical students. I can say that you have a group of doctors, you know, and there's a student organization called uh, Students for a National uh, healthcare. Uh, I forgot what, actually what the acronym is, but so that is definitely a segment of a, uh, physicians and future physicians. And then you have all others who are not interested in that. So I don't know the breakdown of what percentage of people want a nationalized healthcare system and which don't. Um, I also, you know, I have my opinions on it, but I also know that I, I don't know everything about um, healthcare policy, obviously far from it. So my opinion may be not well informed enough, um, but I do have an opinion. And that's that, you know, we need something that covers all people, um, just that there's an ethical component to that. But there's also the component of when people show up to emergency departments, um, we're going to end up eating that cost anyway, one way or another, um, whether the person's able to afford it or not, that hospital is going to recoup that one way or another because that's a loss to them. And if they're a for-profit business, they've got to figure out ways to get that cost distributed to anyone anyway. Um, And so by preventing people from showing up to emergency departments when they already have, you know, end-stage diseases or diseases that could have been dealt with earlier in their course, I think we're, you know, setting ourselves up for higher costs than we need to. Gotcha. That makes sense. Because I always wonder, basically, if, I mean, to me, and again, I don't know anything about this, but it just seems like when there's a private industry, there's more money in it for the people on your side. Whereas if it became a public industry that was just like available the same for every single person, it would make it where 
maybe it's not like I, I wonder if people like you would want to go into that as much as they do now or if it would become just a, an entirely different industry. Like I know in China being and this is what I this is what I heard at least that like becoming a doctor isn't considered as prestigious as it is in the United States due to the differences mm-hmm. in how they view healthcare. What what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well I think most people who go into medicine in this country at least know that there's, you know, a financial incentive to do so. They're not you know, they we compensate physicians much more than uh teachers. Um but having been both a teacher and a soon to be physician, I know that you know, the reason you do one of these jobs um, typically isn't just for the money. So I think you would still get a lot of people, you know, medicine is a very interesting topic, but it's also one that, you know, you can feel good about at the end of the day. Uh, and there's a certain, it attracts a certain type of person who I think would, you know, still do this job um, without necessarily the same level of prestige um, and financial incentive. But, you know, um, not everyone would feel that way, I'm sure. Gotcha. So the question that I, I had two actual questions back on the sure. coronavirus thing, and obviously, you know, you have your opinions and you've made it clear that you only know what you know. But my first question is really like, I keep hearing that people around our age, if they get it, aren't really at risk of dying. It's not going to be as serious, things like that. Does that mean that we're not even really at risk of needing one of those, one of those beds? And it's not even going to get to the point where we need assistance with breathing. Or is it just like, once that happens, we should be okay. Like how bad could it get for someone like me, if I were to get it, for example? Sure. So, I mean, you know, and I don't have a ton of data around this, but I, was told by, and this is secondhand information, so do with it what you will, but I was told that a, one of the city hospitals had three or four, um, you know, this might have been in New Jersey, actually, uh, but somewhere in the New York metro area, had three or four men between the age of 25 and 40 that were in their ICU. Oh, man. And you know, it's pretty rare for someone in that age group to require um ICU care for respiratory infection. You know, that's, I would be surprised um, if I had three, when I was on the ICU, you know, generally there weren't that many young people. And if there were, they weren't there with flu, you know? Um, so yeah, so that, that definitely was concerning when I read that. Yeah. Cause it seems like one of the things that I've kind of formed my own opinion on is if there's this overload in hospitals and you are somebody around our age and you're getting these symptoms, is it responsible to just try and deal with it yourself and get healthy without going and, you know, taking yeah. the resources that are clearly more needed for the elderly? Yeah. And see, I think that's what the, when I was speaking before about needing some guidance. I think that's something that we really w- would benefit from some guidance on is, you know, if I do get this, like you said, what are the signs that I need to go to the hospital? Um, and when is it okay for me to stay at home? You know, and it's hard to know that like right now, I don't know the answer to that. And I don't know if the experts do and just haven't had the time to develop a statement and disseminate that information. But we as a public don't know, right? And so that's very concerning. And if there are young people requiring ICU level care, then it makes that the need for that information even more imperative. 
because um, pr prior to that, I would have just said, yeah, if you're young, stay home. Um, if you're over, over 65 or have other comorbidities, then think about going to the hospital. Um, but that kind of blurs that, um, this new information kind of blurs that and, you know, just makes it more imperative that we have some clear guidelines. Yeah, that's definitely something that I just wish I knew more about. Because, you know, every morning I wake up and I'm like, am I feeling okay right now? Like, are my, yeah. are my glands a little swollen? I feel like everyone's probably doing that. And yeah. yeah, and ultimately, I'd like to think that if I wasn't feeling good, I would try and kind of figure it out. And like going yeah. to the doctor would be the absolute last resort. But at the same time, I don't want to be irresponsible about my own health. It's it's very confusing. I have to say the whole yeah. thing is confusing. You know, the other it brings me up. My final question I'm going to ask about this is I heard this. So there's one guy that I was listening to this dude. His name is Michael Osterholm. I might be pronouncing that wrong, but he seems to be really high up with all this stuff. And I was listening to him and he basically said that even though everybody's saying that this is like a surface droplet thing where, you know, shaking hands and countertops and that's how mm -hmm. it spreads. This guy was saying it's 100% respiratory. And the way you actually get it is by breathing in the same air that infected people are breathing out. And he used the cruise as an example. He said that's why it got crazy on the cruises because everybody was breathing in the same air because that's how the rooms circulate on the cruises. And mm -hmm. it's the mm -hmm. only report I've really heard that is almost the opposite of what everybody's saying. And he went as far yeah. to say as the reason people are telling you to wash your hands is they need something that makes people feel like they could do something. But in reality, it's it's a breathing thing. What is that true? Do you know? You know, I don't know. Um, I was under the impression like you that, you know, this could be um, transferred um, from surfaces with droplets of viral particles, um, as well as like directly like sneezing and coughing. Um, I wasn't aware of this. And, you know, it would be irresponsible for me to say, uh, you know, because I don't, I don't know. So um, that would be concerning if it was, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's, I think that's all I can say about that. Cause that guy's got me feeling like every time I wash my hands, I'm just wasting time. And it's like, what am I really doing this for? This, this isn't even how people are catching it, but everyone else yeah. seems to say something else. So maybe you gotta yeah, go. I, mean, I wouldn't stop washing my hands anytime soon. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But, it's good to do yeah, that. But yeah. I, you know, I think it's good practice anyway, you know, so probably not hurting yourself too much as long as your skin's not getting dried and breaking down and to the point that you're like getting skin infections. That's what's happening with me here. I'm definitely, I mean, yeah. I'm prone to dry skin anyway, but I've been right. going hard in the paint with that. And I've, you know, comes with the territory. Trying out yeah. the skin. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, on a lighter note though, with all the, this going on, it's clearly like habits and routines are important and you've yeah. always been a healthy eater. I know I've known you for a long time. You haven't even really dabbled with red meat since what we were teenagers. Uh, yeah, I, haven't, uh, I think when I was 17 or so is when I stopped eating meat. What triggered that at the time? Uh, again, complicated answer, but I the, the long and short of it was, I, you know, I was um, going to go study environmental sciences at Cornell, and some of what we learned about, you know, in high school, AP uh, environmental science was um, eating high on the food chain um, is just a less efficient way uh, to get our calories so that was a big part of it for me. Um, and also being just so separated from meat production, you kind of lose the fact that you're 
eating an animal every time you eat a burger. And not that there's anything wrong with that, but I think it's it's important to uh, or there's a value in being close to your food production, which isn't always practical in a modern society. But I think there's a value to, you know, having the chickens in your farm and then, you know, ending their lives and being witness to that before you eat them. Uh huh. Interesting. And so, yeah, that's awesome. You've actually stuck with that for that long. I mean, that definitely requires discipline. I, I'm not a big red meat guy myself. I by no means don't eat it, but over mm-hmm. the years, it's just easier for me to digest food, not eating red meat. So I've had other reasons behind it, but I, sure. I love how you go about that. What would you say, how do you do it, Adam? Because you're a kid. I know you work out like a madman. You've got unlimited mm-hmm. energy. There's a common yeah. misconception with people that don't eat meat that people that do eat meat thinking, oh, I can't get enough energy if I'm vegetarian or vegan. And you yeah. clearly show that that's not the case at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, what was the question, Mike? Well, what do you, so what do you, what are your go-to like proteins, things that just keep you going? Like, do you have a routine with certain staple foods like chickpeas, yeah. tofu? I'm not a big tofu guy, I'll be honest. Okay. Uh, in terms of the like, um, fake meat or, you know, I, I don't know if tofu's a fake meat, but like, I like seitan. Um, no, I'm not a which, seitan guy, Adam. I've tried it. Yeah, you know, it's it, what's your problem with the seitan? Is it the texture? The texture. The, the texture, yeah, see, without a doubt. Textures, the texture can be tough for some people. It's quite chewy. Um, have you gotten your hands on, I'm not a big fan, but tempeh? I'm not a big fan of tempeh either. Yeah, I don't yeah. mind tofu, personally. Uh-huh, I think, uh-huh. you know, it's decent. Are you like a the, the silkier tofu or they're like more rubbery? Uh, silkier, without a doubt. You like a, yeah, yeah, I like the smoked tofu. You know, it's kind of rubbery. It's got a nice little crunch to it. Oh, I like that too, man. I've had, mm-hmm. I've been dabbling more and more with that. But, you know, it's t- it's not easy doing that regularly for me. I try no. to as much as possible. I get a lot of uh, yogurt, Greek yogurt in particular, which has a pretty high protein content. Okay. Uh, not a, you know, I used to be very into uh, cottage cheese, which may make me sound like a grandmother, but it's quite good. And it's also underrated. Yeah, it's underrated. It's a good snack with a little salt and pepper. Uh, you can even throw some nuts in there. Um, yeah. How about cheese. eggs? Do you, uh, are you good with those? You know, I kind of go in and out with the eggs. There, there, were, there was a time when I was on like this weird, uh, not weird, but I was on a a paleo diet you remember remember oh yeah i think it's still people still do it but i was doing like hard-boiled eggs like for breakfast and that got old real quick yeah see that's always part of it too right where you get into a routine of eating certain things and what after a while things get old you want to switch it up so are you big are spices a main proponent of that to make sure your taste buds are kind of having different rides hot sauce okay that that does it that does it, you know, and it doesn't have to be anything fancy. It could be like Sriracha or even Frank's. Okay. Um, I don't love Tabasco, original Tabasco, but there's a couple Tabascos that are um, like some of the like pepper. There's like a couple varieties that are good. Okay. And Adam, do you do pizza? Oh, of course, dude. I live in oh. New York. So yeah. what's your go-to pizza in New York, your favorite spot? All right. Uh, my favorite spot is this place on uh, 110th Street and Broadway called Coronet. Okay. Biggest as you've ever seen like gigantic i'll have to go there with you one time i've never been there absolutely wait for me to come to town i want to try it Uh, oh yeah you you just moved right dan yeah but yeah not not in new york i moved to charleston (laughs) one of the carolinas right 
Yeah, I'm in South Carolina. I, I've South yet Carolina. to really find my pizza spot. I've been trying to dabble, uh-huh. but might not might not be the food of choice out here. Yeah, no, I mean, there's so many pizza places per capita in New York. It's kind of hard to beat it, you know? I yeah. have been really thoroughly enjoying myself since I've been in New York with the pizza. I'd say I haven't gone 72 hours without a slice since I've been That's here. Where that. have you gone so far? Any oh, favorites? Yeah. So Ben's Pizza uh, down in, uh, um, oh, yeah. you know, off Thompson. It's McDougal, right? Yeah, that place is really solid. I love John's Pizza. Uh, that's yeah, been a staple of mine for years. Yeah, man, you know, I'm not with pizza as long as it's New York style and not too heavy. I like thin pizza for yeah. sure. Like those big slices are awesome. I'm just I'm happy to be back in my happy place with yeah. the right foods. You know, it's so important for me. Do we can we just briefly touch on deep dish and oh yeah to uh you know the back burner right yeah deep dish yeah you know man deep dish I'm like I've had a love hate relationship with it over the years Adam I definitely I don't like feeling like I used to when I was a kid I loved getting into coma where I used to be more out of shape like a little in college when I started my Mm -hmm. business I wouldn't care about feeling uncomfortably full. The problem with deep dish is that when you have a regular New York slice of pizza, you don't feel like death a few hours later. So what do you think about deep dish? Uh, I really think it should be reserved for like special occasions and just like one slice and call it a day. (laughs) I like that. And you have to use a fork and knife too, which to me, pizza, that's kind of no bueno. It's too heavy. Yeah. My ideal is pizza slice in hand, walking down the street, no plate. And just live in life. My kind of guy. Dude, I'm with you completely on that. That's the best. And Adam, you yeah. brought up cereal earlier. I Clearly, yeah. that's been on your mind. What's your go-to well, breakfast cereal? I was cereals? just concerned that Kix was so high in your draft order. Really? Are you not a yeah. Kix fan? I mean, it's fine. But, like, you left. You had, like, Cinnamon Toast Crunch and Cocoa Pebbles and a bunch of stuff on the board. And you're taking Kix? Dan stole, Dan stole Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Well, no, no, no. I said the same thing. Mike had the dullest cereal draft picks of all Dude, time. Come on. Well, first of all, I, I, have to, I have to understand my train of thought here. Wheaties, I had to go with off of the marketing angle. The only reason Wheaties exists is because of marketing. The food itself is eh. But it also, it's a good compliment to a lot of things. And trail mix, granola, you can do a lot with that. I think you but should you know, admit you had a C-minus draft day. Absolutely. Yeah, it's not I, I mean, Mike, if you're on a desert island, who cares about this marketing of Wheaties? You have to eat this. But Adam, here's the thing. Life. On a desert island, you'll survive longer off Wheaties than tricks. I don't right? think so. If, if you're alone on a desert island, are you, is the goal just as long as you can survive? Maybe not. Maybe it's to go out in flames and just yeah, fire. Yeah, with like cinnamon toast crunch day after day. I think I was thinking too much of the health part of it there yeah. and not the childhood in me, which I should have, where it's like, oh, let me yeah. get cavities and eat like shit 24-7. I mean, your so, lineup of cereals was going to get you like, you know, just outside the playoff bubble and then flirt <laughs> with making the playoffs. That dog horse, maybe? Like the Rangers this year. You know? you must, I know. That you was must, cool. That'll be must, good. Uh, I like this new goalie we got. Yeah, yeah. Adam, good. what what'd yeah. you think of my team then? Oh, fantastic. Way to go. And I'm glad nobody took Fruity Pebbles, I'll be honest. Or yeah, no, I'm not a fan. Uh, Fruit Loops. Fruit Loops. Fruit Loops. Yeah, you know, I, I was kind of, they're overrated. You're right. They're, it's one of those cereals that's always gotten the glamour, but it, it doesn't really have that it factor at all. You know? Is that toucan, man. The toucan really elevated it, you know? 
<laughs> you know, that's true. That that really went a long way. I used to kind of think about Captain Crunch the same way because the yeah. character was so powerful. The cereal was good, but once you had a couple bites, it's like LaCroix where it just yeah. flatlines on you. Yeah. I just had a problem with the yeah. milk around yeah, Captain Crunch. Any cereal whose catchphrase is follow your nose is doing it wrong. I don't, I'm not <laughs> your aroma, you know? <laughs> I have not that slogan in so long, man. It's probably been like wow. 20 years. That yeah, brings they, back memories. They really should do children's uh, cereal commercials on adult television, just for like the nostalgia. I see. And that's the thing. Nostalgia, that's a powerful symbol in oh. food when you think about it. And yeah, cereal. Yeah. Even us talking about it now, I think cereal triggers more childhood right. nostalgia than anything. Right. I, I, you're very right. Yes. So even the Rice Krispies, the Rice Krispie treats over the years, making those, mm. like, man, yeah. there's been some good times. Mm, mm, Adam, mm. Have, have you, when was the last time you had Rice Krispie treats? Uh, not that long ago, surprisingly. Really? When I was a teacher, I would make them all the time for my students. Oh, yeah. As, like, a treat for, you know, good good studenting. <clears throat> oh, and yeah, our, to our listeners, Adam's a man of many talents, not only a future doctor, he taught for Teach of America for how many years, Adam? Uh, that was seven years, I believe. Wow. Yeah. And, and makes a hell of a drummer. Yes, oh, he does. No. Uh, Big time. Oh, uh, Adam, what, where does your band play? Just so anyone in New York can go hear you. Damn, Adam, you're still jamming? Oh, he's still jamming. jamming. Well, oh, we were shit. supposed to play on May 16th, and we were between a few venues, but it looks like um, you know, the city has said no gatherings of more than, uh, well, the CDC today came out with a recommendation, no gatherings larger than 50 people. So I don't know that if that's not lifted by that time, we probably won't do the event, but we were kind of between a few venues in uh, Brooklyn and then one in the Lower East Side, but thank Dan, you very we'll much. have to come out for that whenever one, Adam's next date is 100%. I promise I will come out for that. And oh, that's that's impressive. You guys must have a following then. I mean, if if I could have 50 people at a show, I'd be like, yeah, let's fucking rock out. Well, I, I play with uh, a couple of my classmates from um, medical school, so we kind of have a little bit of a captive audience. You know, uh, a lot of our uh, classmates were tend to come, and then a few of my friends uh, from growing up. So, yeah, but unfortunately, it looks like we're not going to be able to do that, which is definitely a bummer, but safety first, I suppose. We'll get it in soon enough. I'm sure they'll be able to get you guys on the horn once the dust settles here. Yeah, I hope so. Wow, Adam, you have you con- uh, created cloning? You've got a lot going on. <laughs> no. Doctor, I would that would lo- make me lose my shit on its own. No, just uh, you know, need to keep busy, uh, keep myself out of trouble. Yeah. Myself in enough, enough of that, you know. Oh, the best. I, unfortunately, I was hoping we could do comedy night tonight again, but it sounds like that's gonna have to be pushed back a few weeks. Yeah, they closed the uh, they closed the uh, comedy bar for the foreseeable future as well. Wow. Adam, do you ever do you ever get on stage and do stand up? No, I've never done it. I really should one of these days before I move, but uh, I don't know. You'll get on that. And I, and I, you know, I'd need to, I'd really need to write stuff down and have it committed to like memory. Cause I don't think I could just be up there. I see some of these guys and girls, uh, just, you know, spitballing off the dome. And I'm like, dude, no way. I couldn't do that in front of a group. Oh dude, of you can bring up a notebook. Even some of the like famous comedians do that when they're practicing their yeah, yeah. jokes. Yeah. That, I mean, there's nothing yeah. wrong with that at all. That would be awesome seeing you up there. 
Because, Adam, I know you, if you tried it, you'd kill it. Because you'd put yeah. that time in to make it work. Man, I really hope when I download the recording of this, I'm able to see Adam's face. Because right now, I can only hear your voice. And, like, does he have a beard? What does he look like oh, right he's now? He's got a great stash going. I, yeah, Dan, I'll obviously snapshot this so you can see Adam. Yeah, this is driving me crazy right now. I was so pumped to just yeah. see your face. Oh, well, it's good to see your face. And I feel bad that uh, you can't uh, see it on your end. That's too bad. Yeah, yeah that looks like here that's great you're like ahead of the oh, curve with the well, his girlfriend had that taken care of when he got there so that oh, was so uh, he moved into her spot right off the bat so dan didn't have to settle <laughs> it's true even though i'm still trying to get settled oh well, yeah you know our wheel. Uh, what was that did you just say something i'd still be in yeah i was i was just saying i'd still be in a suitcase uh if i had moved on my own and probably sleeping on the floor oh that's where i'm at minus <laughs> the floor i think they, there's a bed in here but i'm i'm still living out of a suitcase myself we'll see how long i couldn't have picked better timing to move to new york <laughs> it's wild <laughs> right where are you staying at uh, i'm in soho i actually i got an airbnb that ironically happened it's in paul's building like coincidentally oh, wow. coincidentally two floors up so I booked this and the address popped up and I'm like, wait a minute, I know that place. That's so awesome. it's pretty funny. But uh, yeah, Adam, you're back in the city, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Nice. I'm in the city. I, did, I was going to go to New Jersey, uh, but I'm thinking I might go tomorrow instead. We'll see. I'm kind of waiting to see if they say uh, they're going to stop public transportation and then maybe I'll just bunker down here. Yeah, I heard they're closing the tunnels and bridges tomorrow. Oh, I did not hear that. Yeah, that was uh, texted to me like two hours ago. I don't know. I mean, I haven't like had a credible source yet from it in the news, but I've heard yeah. it now from two different people that I, I think it's real. Fucking reminds me of a Batman movie. Yeah, I, I mean, it's why I was saying that I was actually walking last night. Uh, I was telling Dan Adam right before you got on. I walked up to meet this girl in Hell's Kitchen, and it felt like a scene out of Jurassic Park without the dinosaur. Like it was eerie. It really yeah, felt like yeah. that apocalypse now vibe. Yeah, it's pretty. Uh, it's pretty wild out there. So I know. Uh, just cross our fingers, things don't escalate um, and get worse. Yeah, I, I mean, hey, well, I guess you've given us some peace of mind, though. At least, uh, you know, you shed some knowledge on what's going on, and obviously, we appreciate you coming on, Adam. This was a, a great, a great one. Oh, it was good to talk to you guys. Uh, yeah, it was next, awesome. Next time, uh, more serial talk. Oh, 100. And dude, yeah, we'll yeah. Be, uh, let me know. I'll be around. Pumped to see you in the days to come. That's right. Think, by the way, Adam, when are you moving to DC? Uh, June 1st is when I like have to start there. So okay. We'll Maybe like I'm looking for places now, and then uh, we'll see. Alright, that'll like, be a quick ride. I feel like yeah, we got. No, go ahead. Oh, nothing. Go ahead. You, you go. Well, no, I was just going to say, we got to bring him on again once this all dies out to, like, just talk about, you know, other shit. Oh, we'll do a yeah, second yeah. helping episode for sure. Maybe yeah. we'll all be breaking bread at the time. I, I saw a bracket for cereals that was broken down by different regions, like a March Madness type thing with, like, sugary, sweet, diff, like, different ones. Uh, we can go over that. That's awesome. We actually, we created that for food, for foods, but unfortunately oh. with the colleges all canceling classes, we did not really get the reception we were hoping for with the uh, yeah, event, yeah. but I love the concept of brackets with food. I think it's awesome. Oh, me too. Me too. 
Yeah. Right, so cool. who's who's your number one uh, March Madness cereal winner then, Adam? Uh, I mean, it's going to be tough to beat Cinnamon Toast Crunch. You know, their pedigree. You're right. They're, yeah. You know, they've got great recruitment year after year. <laughs> um, <laughs> consistency. They're like Duke uh, or UNC of, of cereal when you really think oh, back. Because it's the go-to dessert cereal when you want a cheat. On food, it's like you know yeah. what I'm feeling cinnamon toast crunch. Big time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Adam, what's Big your cheat meal? Like, if last meal on earth, what would it be for you? All like health to the side, not meaning at all. Hmm. Uh, I probably go meatloaf and mashed potatoes. Whoa. Yeah. Talk about a meat and potatoes uh, kind of guy. Yeah. Uh, you know, my uncle used to make a really Really good meatloaf. It probably still makes sense to me. But either Brussels uh, sprouts or kale, just to you know, make sure I had some vegetables in me before I leave this uh, existence. <laughs> I love that you'd have meat in there, though. That's that's awesome. Oh yeah, sure, sure, sure. Ah, uh, the meatloaf. Remember that scene with uh, Will Ferrell in Wedding oh, Crashers? Oh, Wedding Crashers. Yeah. Ma, <laughs> Ma, the meatloaf. <laughs> I never know yeah. what she's doing back there. <laughs> it's one of the best. Yeah, one of the best. Good stuff, man. Well, Adam, thanks again, buddy. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, man. It was Excellent, nice talking man. to you guys. Awesome. Of course. Stay out on. There. Take care Definitely. of yourselves. You too. All Love right. you, buddy. I'll see you in the next yeah. few days. Love you too, man. Yeah, I hope so. See you, man. Peace out. Take care. Bye, Dan. Good seeing you again. You too, man. Have a good one. Thanks. You too. Bye. Bye. Uh, Adam is gone. Adam, that was phenomenal. Adam Rafat, future doctor, family doctor. That show is Adam, by the way, when I, I put on Instagram earlier, one of the best human beings I've ever come across. That kid couldn't care less about money. He can go in if he wants to and be a neurosurgeon. He's, I, I don't use this term often. He's a genius. He, he actually is. And he's going to be a family doctor, which, by the way, <laughs> makes the least amount out of any doctor's. And it just shows Adam what he's all about. His genetic makeup, his everything is just about helping people. And that gets to where we're at. I'm glad we had him on because of the coronavirus, but also Dan, Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. When you think of a pillar for that, it's Adam Rafat. It so is. I'm glad we had him on as we interlude going into that. And Adam Rafat, and this is going to be an inside joke between me and Adam Rafat, but he also invented Doodle Time. He invented yeah. Doodle Time. We forgot to bring up his love of fudge. I'm annoyed at that. That skipped my mind. He used to be eating fudge out of a carton in the young Adam Rafat days. But do you think Adam would remember Doodle Time? Oh, he time? brought it up to me last week. Of course, oh, he did? we talked about that constantly. Uh, yes. That was, that's like my favorite Adam childhood memory. I mean, Adam also gave me the scar on my nose when we were wrestling in our basement right before we left for San Francisco. Oh, remember shit. that? We were t When we were like 12 and 10, I had that big thing on my nose. That I, was uh, from getting a rug burn when Adam put me into the ground <laughs> from wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> that's no, hilarious at least yeah he used to always be like anytime there were snowstorms the school was canceled adam rafat was over our house oh, we had and, great times we played hockey together we we literally had some of our best memories with adam uh, fellow diehard rangers fan his dad's the man um but yeah that that was really cool having him on we'll definitely have him on again and it's awesome been i've seen adam a bunch since i've been here it's been a lot of fun uh, seeing a friendly face that I know from way back in the day. You can't I'm beat that. 
I'm jealous of that. That's a, that's a dude that I wish I could see on the regular. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's a great guy. Uh, well, you'll see, you'll be seeing him soon. And yeah, how he's do, moving to DC. That's yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah, how to win friends and influence people? Did you reread the book? I did. Dan, is that not a toilet book? If there ever is one, where it should be reread by everyone on Earth at least once a year, I think, because that that you just reread some of these things and you're just like, you know, okay, don't criticize, condemn, or complain. Give honest and sincere appreciation. You can go over a list of life hacks to win in life off of just being a human and there for people. But what to me sums that book up is how Carnegie goes over dogs relationships with humans, the unconditional love. When you think about a dog, they live rent free. They don't pay for food. Why? Because they have no agenda other than unconditional love. They love their owners. When you see miles, he is excited to see you. He doesn't want anything except your love. So that's why dogs are humans, best friends, because there's, they don't want anything from us except to be with us. And I think that that's says a lot for everything in life, really, but we all get caught up and it's, it's easier said than done to not get caught up in the distractions and the competition. That's part of what life is. But this book really, I think sums up how to be the best human possible. Yeah, no, I agree. It's, uh, you just nailed it. I mean, there's just so people know, it's not a book that compares humans to dogs at all, but it basically shows that dogs don't have an agenda that is an underlying agenda. Like what you see is what you get and how to win friends and influence. It's almost a sales book. I mean, not really. It's an everything book, but if you're in sales, it's a great book to read because it just shows you really basic ways to interact with people that seem like common sense but i think we're all guilty of this we could find ourselves in conversations where like mike right now texting he's not even listening to a word no, 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 Dan, i'm, actually, no, <laughs> I'm, I'm actually texting with uh, i am listening to what you're saying i'm already getting our next guest lined up just so you know this is yeah. all in with the podcast I, I, I was just fucking with yeah. you but it's completely about things that seem obvious that people have a very tough time actually doing because I hate to say it, but humans for the most part are usually a little bit selfish and they care about themselves more than other people. And this book kind of shows you how to not be like that in a way that I know I keep saying the word obvious, but that's what comes to mind when you read the book. You're like, this stuff seems so obvious, but like, why aren't I like this all the time? And you know, I, in saying that, Dan, I think we also are all our own harshest critics. And I, I'm with you. Like, so, selfishness, though, I think it's important to an extent to be selfish. I think we all have to be selfish to an extent. Definitely. Because, we, you know, at the end of the day, we're all in our own heads all the time. And we are, I know we talked about this. I talked with Anthony a bit about this earlier, the sense of self, how it's ironic how people are always caught up in that. And then a pandemic happens and you're like, oh, shit. In the scheme of things, there's much bigger fish to fry. Humanity, a collective brain, you know, thy neighbor, help thy neighbor. And that that's what the world's about. Humans were at the top of the food chain because of cooperation. And that it's it's kind of, I think we're in this landscape in America more than any where, where it's almost a feast or famine. And it's turned into this world where it's constant comparisons and it's just, it's unhealthy. And I'm hoping that this actually brings out 
the best in people. Like we even saw, obviously, 9-11 was a completely different situation. But what we saw right after that was what makes people great, right? Yeah. People having each other's back, being there to support one another. And it seems like the last couple decades, that fell on deaf ears after those buildings got, you know, torn down. There was a, a few years where it almost felt things changed. But then people have short-term memories, and hopefully this is going to change that. I don't think it will. I think it'll ultimately be a short-term thing. But I, I, this is a lot like 9-11. At the end of the day, 9-11, you know, we don't need to summarize what 9-11 was. But when you think about it, it was an attack on us. And that's exactly what this is. You can't, like, point your finger at a specific person because this is Mother Nature. But it's the same. It's causing terror. It's causing fear. And that brings people together. It is, it's interesting that we have social media now. You know what I mean? Because it it's like, yeah, that's where it's just, it's wild. Because, you know, you got people that obviously everyone's afraid. If, whether they want to admit it or not, people are afraid. And they respond to being afraid in different ways. Some people are making jokes about it. And some people are just being honest about being afraid. But it's comforting. Social media right now is comforting. This is when social media is great. Well, this it's, is what it, what it was meant to be, a support group. When you think about what it was, it was about connections and support. That was yeah. what Facebook, Zuckerberg built, Zuckerberg built that for that, for those instances. Unfortunately, it took on a life of its own in ways that I don't think psychologically anyone could even imagine when we look back at when Facebook began. I like to think Zuckerberg started Facebook to try and get laid for the first time, and then Definitely. it turned into a whole other thing. But I get what you're saying. But even sure. with that, when you think about it, the agenda was a connection. Getting laid, meeting no, right. someone you haven't seen in a while, whatever. 100%. Yeah. yeah. And that's kind of gone to the wayside the last few years where, like we talked about with Chris Miller, the Gary V thing. It's almost like you feel belittled when you see people on social media these days. It's like, why don't I have six legs or, you know, the energy of a cheetah nonstop? You know, people are always putting out the best versions of themselves. That's part of why you're not seeing those behind closed doors 99% of the time moments. And yeah. right now, everyone's on the same page, which is great. That's what we needed. Should we uh, address our, should we talk about our business a little right we now? Should. I think, you know, we're in the food delivery business to all our listeners. And ironically, and I, I th it's it's crazy to sound, but think about this. But we are one of the few industries right now that are operating. Food delivery, most of the restaurants have shut down dine-in to avoid uh, public gatherings for good reason. And, you know, at the end of the day, we're grateful that we're still operating and we have couriers out there that are putting themselves at risk, really, when you think about it handling food to all these different consumers. They don't know what's behind closed doors. So I think they're the real heroes. Obviously, the doctors on the, on their own wavelength are heroes here. But in terms of the service industry, without couriers at the moment, we're in deep shit as a, as a country. Look at New York City. You can only get delivery and pickup right now for food. Yeah, and... Uh... It's, yeah, no, I mean, there's no doubt about it. We're in an interesting industry right now. We've had restaurants that have never even wanted to talk to us that have reached out to us because they're not going to be able to be open to the public and they need a way of serving people. It's also, it's, it, it's wild with the timing. Obviously, you're never going to have, uh, I feel 
weird even using the word timing. That's not what I want to say, but it's we're obviously in college markets. It's the bread and butter of our company. And it's a little weird right now with like the spring breaks with just trying to figure out what's going to happen. Like Bloomington, Indiana, which is basically our biggest market is right now on spring break. Boulder's about to be on spring break. And obviously both colleges have been canceled or put online only. And I think the fear that we have and the question we keep asking ourselves is where are these kids going? Are they leaving? Are they coming back? Our business is two things. One, we rely on college students and we rely on business offices. And right now, college students aren't really in college. And whether or not they're in our towns, we're, we're, we're still trying to figure it all out what they're doing. But like businesses in Boulder, you know, I was talking to that was one of the things when I was talking to Boulder Weekly today, we were talking about it a little. Our business thrives off of these businesses in Boulder that order lunch from us. And right now they're not working from the office. And a lot of these people commute not from Boulder in areas that we don't even serve. So it, it's definitely scary. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say our numbers are up. I think they would have been up if this was happening three weeks ago. But unfortunately, a lot of the people that drive our business aren't even in our markets right now. And that's a little scary to me. And the other thing, I spoke to the public health department today in Boulder, and they're obviously taking whatever orders they end up going with from the state. It's all coming from the state. And, you know, we saw Park City, they're eliminating third-party delivery services from being allowed to deliver the food, and they're making it where if restaurants want to deliver, they have to deliver themselves. And that also scares the shit out of me. When I was talking to the lady from the Boulder Health, she was kind of not implying that there's a chance that would happen, but she was essentially pointing out the reason that's happening. And she was like, look, the problem with the third-party deliveries is they have these contracted drivers. They're not employees. You have no way of controlling whether or not sick people are on the roads. And for us, it's a little different because we don't have a system where drivers could just throw themselves on and throw themselves off they have to like kind of come through us. That way we keep the supply and demand in order. And I was talking to her about that and definitely made them feel really good about what we're doing. But it's uh, it's freaky. Not it, What's freaky about it, and obviously right now our business is in a different category, but for any business out there, it's freaky that like your fate is in the hands of the government. At any point, they could decide you guys have to close. And I don't think people it's, you know, you have conversations with friends and you see people on Facebook. People don't realize everyone's like, oh, man, like what's going to happen if I have to take off of work for two weeks? Like, how am I going to get paid? It's like, yeah, what's going to happen in a month when your employer doesn't have a business because, you know, they still have the overhead and they don't have people coming to their business like this is scary as shit. Well, I but think that that's why it's a national emergency and you're going to see other things coming to fruition that we're not hearing about yet for these exact reasons. Because yeah. and it, yeah. it opens up a whole nother dialogue, too, for a whole nother podcast episode. But I think the universal basic income conversation is going to become more prevalent in our world and society, because, quite frankly, it has to. When you think of a lot of the, the types of jobs that should really be automated and will probably be automated down the road, you're talking about, you know, people that need to support themselves to pay rent, to live, 
to eat. And there's going to have to be something that gives there. We need to re-educate a lot of people in different ways for where technology is heading. And we're not there as a country or as a world for that matter. And that's what scares me more than anything is I think we're shelving progress in the world off of that gap where we don't know what to do with all these people that are in these roles that should be automated. And now we see a pandemic happen. It makes people even more, uh, you know, taking precautious measures with social distancing. The bigger question is going to be the self-driving and when is all that going to be coming front and center now? Because if you're the Ubers and Amazons of the world and we know how lobbying works, there is no doubt they are going to use this for everything they've got to try to expedite all of that happening. And it might not be a bad thing as long as we can figure out how all of these people could be employed in new ways down the road, but it's not going to be fast. That's why I think universal basic income, I don't even know the dynamics of how it's going to work, but there's going to have to be an era we get into soon where people's basic needs are met. Adam was on here talking about everyone deserves to be taken care of healthcare wise. I completely agree. I think it goes beyond that. I think that when you thought, think of Maslow's hierarchy of needs early on, the food and shelter has to be part of that package. And I don't know how we get there yet, but I don't see any other way of world progress in the decades to come with these gaps. I just don't. Yeah, and there's no doubt. I mean, the thing that concerns me most, and obviously, like you said, we're in a national emergency, and I know the government has things up their sleeve that people don't even know about. And it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. But what I do know is, you know, the $1.5 trillion that they put into the banks a week ago, that was to allow the banks to have the money for companies that are now all tapping into their lines of credits for the first time ever. And I think that's a big misinterpretation that a lot of people have, or people think that Wall Street's bailing out the banks again like they did in 08, and they're not. The banks are in a great spot compared to where they were in 08. The problem is you got companies like Boeing for the first time ever drawing on a $500 billion line of credit, and the banks only have so much money when all that's happening at once. So people talk about the bell curve and how we have to flatten the curve. It's not much different when you think about it for what's going on in our country. If you have millions of businesses that need to tap into their line of credit at the same time, which is essentially what's happening right now, the banks don't have that money. And if you let them not have that money, we're all fucked. And at the end of the day, where, where I'm worried is now the banks have, you know, the injection that they got. And I know that there's even more coming, but then you think about it and it's like, okay, what companies are going to be taken care of? It's these multi-billion dollar companies that still have these big balance sheets where they still have a lot of debt. And at the end of the day, the world isn't going to let them go under. So like Boeing is going to get their money. Are companies like us going to get our money if we need 150 extra grand to get us few, through a few months? I don't know. And honestly, I don't think so. I think so. I, I do think so. Because uh, I think the, the world, I think we're at a point where it could be ill-affording to have that happen, where on another level of unemployment, the small businesses is really what keeps this country powerful when you think about it. 100%. This is where, though, it's like, and don't get me wrong, it's not, you can't, there's not 
an answer for this. This is a this is a Mother Nature shit show right well, that's, now. That's why you'll see money continuing to be printed. Well, like, yeah, and my and but what I see happening is, and what most likely will happen is they're gonna extend. They're gonna give more capabilities to SBA loaning companies where. Small businesses, so small businesses that want loans, there's going to be more capital available. What scares me is maybe there's a very, very short-term gap where there's no interest rates at all. But all that's going to happen is small businesses all across the country, let alone world, are going to take on massive amounts of debt just to keep their doors open. Some will just say, fuck it and close their doors. Others are going to do it. And it's not like a bailout. It's not like, oh, and don't get me wrong, it wasn't a bailout for the banks either. They had to pay it back. But it's it's way harder for a small company like us, for example, if we need an extra, just to throw this out there, if we need, let's say, just a hundred grand to kind of give us a little fluff to get through all this, and we have to pay back that a hundred grand with any sort of interest at all, it just, it sucks. Because it's just like money that we're being loaned that we would have had. Yeah, otherwise. that's why, Dan, I'm telling you, that's not going to be the case. We're going to be able to get access to money without loans during certain parameters of time. That's the whole point of this, of a national emergency. And interest rates being at zero, they might be going negative next week. Where literally we're at that point where there's going to be drastic measures. So let me ask you, and I like this is always something I kind of wondered. I don't know if you know or not, but I'm just going to ask you if interest rates are negative, does that mean we are getting paid to take a loan? Like, what does that mean? It means that banks are basically in freeze mode. It's a nom when they drop below zero, banks and other types of financial firms, they have to pay to keep their excess reserves stored at a central bank instead of receiving income for off of interest. So when you think about it, all that really does, it, it lowers borrowing costs for someone like us, but it's, it's a less attractive investment than other currencies. So a weaker currency gives a country's export a competitive advantage and it boosts inflation by pushing up the import costs. But long story short, man, for us short term, yes, it helps a ton. Because yeah, if so, it drops below zero for borrowing money, the banks are the ones that just change the dynamic. No, because, I get for the banks that they would basically, like, I get the whole excess reserves and the central bank. I get all that. But again, well, it lowers the profits of the banks. And, it, and you know, it makes it discouraging for them to lend people money when you think about it. Because, that's why, that's why yeah. it goes to negative. Yeah, they only, yeah, no, you're right. Because it, it like, holds the reins on them or else they're losing money. So that way, right now with zero rates, it's not the case. If they go negative, that's basically making the banks be like, oh, shit, we got to be careful here. So it's the government putting the reins on and making everything centralized. So am I right in the sense that like if you have a, a negative interest rate loan, you're not only not paying interest, but you're getting paid as you pay back that loan. Is that no, what that no, means? No, no. So, so what? Like what? Like I get like a two percent interest loan. You're paying two percent on the loan. Negative two percent. Like doesn't that mean you're paying negative two percent on the loan? No. What it means is that the bank is being penalized for the loan. Okay. So, but you are not getting paid money on top of the money you get out. As great as that would sound, trust me. When I first heard of negative interest rates, that's immediately what I thought it meant. Me and too. I was like, oh, wow, that's incredible. I'm sure most people do. 
I, I mean, yeah, I, I'm, I'm still like, I, I got to admit, I'm going to do some research. And again, this, podcast. this is really, it's the reason it goes in place is because it influences inflation throughout the economy. So that's really what we're talking about here with having to print money, bailing out people. That's what this does. Okay. And it's all about the, when you think of currencies, the dollar versus other currencies, that's what we're talking about here. Import, export, supply, export, supply and demand. So for a borrower perspective, though, we're, we are the true winner there, for sure. For in sure. The short yeah. Are you, uh, are you freaked out about our business at all? No, I'm not. I have, for some reason, I'm, something tells me this is actually as crazy as it sounds going to end up it like down the road. We'll look back at this as something that somehow helped our business. I, I know it sounds crazy at the moment saying that. And it might sound a bit delusional and well, wishful, but well, I, yeah. I mean, it doesn't, I, I get what you're saying. Cause like even it's been interesting, which restaurants have been not, not obviously anyone reaching out is reaching out to try and keep their business alive. But like the actual one-off conversations have kind of been like, we, we got to all support each other here. Exactly. Like, I've had some, some of our top restaurants, say that when this is over they're dropping all the other competitors yeah and that's what i wanted to one, one of the one of them referred to them as crooks today well, honestly man i think this sheds light though this type of thing happening when we talk about being there for your neighbor community building let's be real none of our competitors at all care about individual markets that's not their model and it was funny to me seeing an email from uber eats earlier in new york talking about Make sure to care about your community. It's like, what the fuck are you guys talking about? You're promoting McDonald's and all these national brands. You don't care about communities. Like, that's what, oh, like, all of a sudden, they're emphasizing local restaurants. Like, make sure to support them. It's like, well, you guys don't. So I, I thought that was really something that we, I think we've been put in a position here where food delivery is going to get more attention than it ever did, even though... You know, us being in the industry, Dan, we've been so biased thinking it's gotten so much attention with how much competition and money has been in this space. But the reality is we're biased. I think you're going to see a lot of people that never even ordered food delivery before that are avid diners that go out a lot or even cook. They might say, you know what, I'm going to start ordering food delivery more often. I, I think that's going to be more of a commonplace thing for a long time. I, I think it's going to take people a long time to get into the mode of trusting being out in public with all this scare tactics going on. It's going to take a while for people to get back to normal for sure. But it also allows us to, the community building. When we think about that and what we've stood for from day one, none of our competition have been in these this business for that purpose. So this changes the dynamic. Look at the economy shitting the bed. We always joke around about it, but that, that VC money, the well's run, running dry now. They're not going to be dumping more money into the coupons. They're trying to figure out how to have a, their own business. Yeah, no, I know. I mean, it'll be interesting to see what happens because you would think those companies are going to kill it during this time. And it's the companies that, I know we talked about this last week, but the companies that are not able to get sales are the ones that are most likely going to suffer. But who knows, man? I, I, I still think, like, even when I think about my own psyche right now, I, I'm not really wanting to order delivery. I want to, like, get food and cook it. And I don't know if that's just me being 
a little domestic right now. I've been I think cooking. that too, living with your girlfriend, she's making you good meals. You guys have been getting in that routine. Because I can tell you firsthand, I've ordered a ton of deliveries since then. True. And okay. I've yeah. told the people to leave it at the door. And, you know, man, I think it just, it's one of those things where we're in a, uh, a time where we should be able to get a lot of support around us and vice versa with people in our communities. And it'll, it'll be interesting to see also working closely with restaurants, Dan, who aren't able to bring people in right now for dine-in, really catering to their needs to make sure we can have exclusivity with them feeling like they could trust a local company that is only in select few markets. Because when you think of quality control, if I'm a restaurant that is still open for delivery, I, I really want to have peace of mind knowing I'm not just a deli number, that I'm one of a million restaurants. I think that gives us a huge advantage. Yeah, no, I'm with you, man. I, I think you're right. It's There's no doubt that this is the type of environment where you want to you wanna support the community, for sure. And we, we have to do the same thing, though. It's, it's a reciprocal game. It's not just about people supporting us. It's us figuring out ways to help locally with things in our Definitely. No, I agree with you. So we have to practice what we preach with that, for sure. And I think that goes back to how to win friends and influence people. Dale Carnegie sums that up perfectly. You know, humans are humans, and we have to cooperate and be there for each other. Now more than ever, brother. Definitely. And yeah, on that note, I am uh, off to meet the conch for dinner. You are? Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Well, at least you guys are. Well, not, I, we're going to get delivery or takeout. I'm not yeah. eating okay. out. That's, that's good to hear. I was going to say, like, what the fuck? What's <laughs> on the Dan Dan menu tonight? Uh, I don't know. I got to figure it out. Dan Dan noodles. Have you guys ever eaten that together? Dan Dan noodles? <laughs> no, we haven't. Got to do that and get that like on footage for me at yeah. some point. We uh, absolutely. I'll, I'll get such a kick out of it. I don't know if Danny even likes Dan Dan noodles, but I'm sure she'll love them when she tastes them. Dude, you know uh, what was the thing that you had from the Korean place? Which one? That you did the video of. Um, the food review. Korean plate. What Seoul Kitchen? Yeah, the- like the something bop, like bibimbap. Bibimbap. I made bibimbap fri- a fried rice from Hello Fresh two nights ago. Yeah fucking out of this world i made it it was so we're talking man bibimbap's phenomenal phenomenal good stuff man well on that note maybe it's time for some korean food we'll catch you next week folks stay healthy wash your hands and enjoy your time social distancing gives us some time to uh, contemplate and reflect seriously and uh just a funny meme to leave everybody with well you might think it's funny or just whatever but verbal meme that i've been seeing is our grandfathers were called overseas to fight in world war one we're being called to sit on our couch and not do anything i think we got this people that's a great thing way to keep things in perspective i love it yeah so stay safe guys and hopefully this brought some joy to your life and yeah we'll we'll talk to everybody next week boom baby boom Bootstrapped in the trenches, making moves going all out. Every day handle business. You know that the hustle don't stop. Got my team, let's get it. Reviewing books and talk stocks. Steady keep it moving. So you gon' wanna tune in. Get low down, it's an app. Get local food on demand. Delivery right to your home. Everything in the palm of your hand. Took hard work and dedication. Come through, join the conversation. This is history up in the making. We just wanna be an inspiration. Hey.
Let's go.